Hey there traders, looking to take the guesswork out of trading and only 10 minutes a day? Then you need to head on over to AIStockTradingSystem.com right now, where you can get our five-step system to take the guesswork out of trading in only 10 minutes per day. And the only place to get that is at AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com. Hey there, 10 Minute Traders, and welcome back to the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast, where we give you the tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And today, we've got the legend back on the phone again, Steve Burns, and we're going to be talking about his book, New Trader, Rich Trader 2. Steve, welcome back to the program. This is the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast, brought to you by 10MinuteStockTrader.com. Hey, thanks for having me again, Chris. Oh, man, I, I, I am thrilled to, uh, to have you back, and honestly... Um, as good as I thought New Trader, Rich Trader, the original was, uh, this one absolutely lived up to that and really expanded upon those <laughs> ideas. And, you know, I, I misspoke in our, our, uh, our last interview and I had a chance to, to listen back through the podcast and I was like, oh, I misspoke. I, I identified with a New Trader, not Rich Trader, so <laughs> much in both of these two books and and I'd like to uh, fix that mistake that I said. I didn't identify with rich traders so much as new traders. Um, and yeah, and this one too. I mean, it's like Steve and I were writing this book, and he decided to talk about me and uh, all the things that I still need to learn after ten years of trading. Yeah, I, I hear that a lot, Chris. A lot of people can see themselves in the uh, the new trader role because we all go through that learning curve, especially with risk management psychology, regardless of what our systematic process is, you know, or even getting to a systematic process. So very similar journey that almost anyone goes through. If they can get through that, then they have a chance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that stuck out to me just right away in the book was you talked a lot about having a plan. Uh, mitigating risks, things like that, and new trader, rich trader, number one. And in number two, it was very much a psychological-based book. One of the things that new trader talks about early on, and I'm sure I, I highlighted it, we may get to it later, uh, but one of the things he talked about early on that really stuck out to me was you can identify yourself as a trader, but you cannot wrap your identity up in a trade. And that's something I've been very, very guilty of. Yeah, you see that in all uh, fields of success, too. I mean, I don't think Mark Zuckerberg wraps his self-worth into every gyration of the Facebook stock. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a surgeon doesn't wrap his entire identity into anything that goes wrong in a surgery if it's not his fault that it goes wrong. I mean, all you can do is follow a process and uh, not become emotionally attached to it. Because especially, you know, baseball player, you strike out, uh, you could strike out two out of three times. You know, hit a homer on the third try, and you have to have the identity of you know what you're doing. You have a system. You have risk management. You're disciplined. You have your, you know, internally you have faith in yourself to execute whatever your trading system is. So you know the outcomes you cannot control where the market goes or where the price goes. All you can do is exec execute your own system and plan. Mm -hmm. And to that point, uh, one of the things that I've picked up uh, just you know reading into the mind of of a genius like Steve here. Um, is is the fact that you know once you have a plan you trade the plan good batter and different it's like a, a batter like to steve's example setting up to the uh, batting box he's still going to swing the bat every time and it's it's not that he's changing the way he swings he still swings it with the same intensity and the same effort uh but maybe trades need little adjustments here and there to make 
to make them fit. But it's not like he's walking up with a golf club or it's not like he's walking up with a tennis racket. He's still walking up with a bat. He's still trading his plan. And if it goes wrong, it goes wrong. And the going wrong is part of his plan and knowing what to do when it does go wrong. It has to start with the process. You know, when you start trading, you know, what is your edge? How, how do you think you're going to make money? You know, what time frame and system do you have that should make money based on historical precedents of, of price and uh, and trends? You have to start there. I mean, people go in and say, oh, I'm just going to make good choices and I'm going to, you know, have an ego and think I'm really good at this. Or, uh, you know, I'm just going to, uh, you know, do what I think is the right thing to do with no plan or process. There's no field that I'm aware of of expertise where anyone's successful based on randomness. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe lottery winners, but you know, you know, 99.9999% of them lose money on the lottery and, and mm. the random randomization is rare. I mean, people do get lucky and get in crypto at the right time or do get the right stock and get lucky. And it's almost the worst thing that can happen to you because you never develop the right process in the long term, So you end up giving back your lucky money. Absolutely. And, you know, we talked last time about um, selling options, credit spreads, iron condors, things like that. And and I mean, I'm looking on page five of the book just right away. Steve called me out and he said, oddly enough, there's option sellers with a 90 percent win rate, yet they lose money because one loss is 10 times bigger than the other nine wins. And man, I've seen that firsthand. I, I think I, I mentioned that last time. I did a an analysis of my portfolio, and I had iron condors. That was my favorite trade for years. And once I did the analysis and saw, yes, it was winning. I, I think it was over eighty percent of the time. Mm -hmm. It was a net loser dollar wise, and I didn't even realize that. Yeah, people have a hard time wrapping their brain around the fact that you can make, uh, you know, have a have a lower win percent, but still be profitable, even with a thirty three or fifty percent win rate, or lower than fifty, and still make a lot of money if your wins are multiples of your losses. If you lose a hundred bucks but make three hundred bucks, you know, you're profitable with a fifty percent win rate. Mm -hmm. And people don't people don't see that, especially the the you know options because it's so psychologically easier to go through it. Sell an option, make money. Sell an option, make money. Sell an option, make money. You know, over and over and over. But those when those big unexpected trends and moves come, you know, they they can really take back a lot of the past gains in one sweep. That's that's usually where I'm finally making the big money. Is usually when option traders are getting killed. Yeah. <laughs> well, since talking to you last time, I've really implemented more of a. Uh, more technical based, I guess you could say. I'm looking at, at, at more bigger picture items, right? I'm looking at more moving averages. I'm looking at moving averages crossing over. I'm looking at uh, MACDs, RSIs, things of that nature that I really hadn't incorporated before because the people that I had been mentored by that I've been learned from in the past, they really talked about the fact that options prices are perfectly priced. So mm -hmm. you could put on anything anywhere and probability of success right away. Uh, and while that may be true, you can still get in front of a moving trend and be wrong selling option into that trend, and uh, then it, it will come back to bite you, like we talked about my gold uh, gold trade last year. Yeah, you always want to go with the path of least resistance. Yes, sir. The path of least resistance is an easier way to go. If you're bull in a bull market, bear in a bear market, you know, you're on the sidelines with wild volatility that becomes more random in nature. Uh, and, you know, whatever process you have is just continually executing that process and understanding how your edge works. You know, if you have a selling short options and you have hedges, you might be able to manage the hedge better or you might be able to cut your loss immediately on the ones that don't work out. It's all about minim minimizing the losses and maximizing the gains and just repeating a process 
over and over. And I, like you said, though, a lot of people look at the mathematical model of options, you know, the Black-Scholes model. It doesn't really account for technical analysis or trends. You know, it's mm-hmm. really based. You might do at the money a 50, 50 delta, you know, and you might have a 10 delta when you go out of the money to a certain distance. But it doesn't account for, you know, that the going in the money might be at a 200-day moving average in the SP 500 or the NASDAQ 100. So the probability of getting to that price might be greater from the uh, psychology of the traders trading the market. Right. And, you know, you bring up you bring up a point that I wanted to ask you about the 200 day moving average. Uh, we are we're, we're there. We're knocking on the door of it. What do you think? Are we going to bust through or are we going to are we going to go back down? Yeah, I bought into the swing, you know, the bear market where we cracked. We went down 20 percent. I started mm-hmm. buying on the way back up with a five day, 10 day crossover in the in the Nasdaq 100 QQQ. And I bought some 1050 crossovers in the SP 500 and the uh, some other indexes. So I'd be adding, if we close above the 250-day, I would add more to my position. If we close above the 200-day, I'd add more like I'm swinging in as we prove the swing of the upside. And if we go into a full-blown bargain again, step would be over the 250 and 100. And uh, today, it didn't happen. It will fade back under several key moving averages. Oh, it's not okay. unusual even for a bear market to get back to those areas. It's more of a zone. You, you know, you're not going to have 100% win rates. You could go in, then you get stopped out, and you go in, get stopped mm-hmm. out. And then the third try, you might have a 10% run up like we did off the bottom. Right. And to Steve's point exactly right there is trading your plan. You know, it's okay to be stopped out. And I think a lot of traders get their ego wrapped up into it where they're like, I can't be wrong. I'm going to continue. Now, I've been guilty. I will tell you, Steve, I've been guilty of this. I would roll a trade for months and months and months thinking it's got to come back. It's got to come back. Yeah. And it can't and, possibly and go lower. It can't possibly go <laughs> lower. And, you know, at some point you're not trading your plan anymore. You're trading your ego and you have got to leave the ego outside of it because it's, it's so much of a game between your ears, as Steve would say. And, you know, knowing where your stop is and being disciplined to use that stop is really key. And the way that I've been incorporating this more is, is uh, like if if a price is moving against me, I know as an option seller, I can hold that on. It's still out of the money, but price is showing me that it's moving in the direction I don't want it to go. And if it continues to do that, I'm literally just sitting there watching this train. I'm sitting on the tracks watching the train come at me and not doing anything about it. There's really been a, a big change in the way that I trade. Yeah, it's really crazy how you can get a, you get attached. I mean, when you start, I mean, all the theories and drawing lines on charts and reading trading books, it's a different ballgame than actually putting real money at risk where you're going to make or lose money. And then you start mm-hmm. engaging the emotions and the ego mm-hmm. and the, the fear. Totally. I mean, it actually starts triggering different responses in your brain with cortisol for stress. And when you're winning, you're having a dopamine dose. And it actually is a real uh, scientific uh, you know the physiology of a human body you know it is triggering an overriding logic and reason yeah uh, especially that's how small losses become big losses is not getting out when they're small and then getting on the wrong side of a trend that's where the saying you know cut your losses short let your winners run because profitability comes from being on the right side of a trend and letting it run and mm-hmm. being unprofitable comes from being on the wrong side of the trend and hoping it comes back because because it couldn't possibly go lower. It couldn't. No, and exactly. I, and, you know, and bear markets have no long term support and bull markets have no long term resistance. And that's what throws a lot of people off because anything mm-hmm. can happen. Yeah. And, you know, the chapter two, the lead into chapter two, you say here. A good trade is taken with a disciplined entry and position size. A bad trade is taken to win back losses that the market owes you. 
Now, I've not ever come at it from that perspective, but that's not the first time I've heard somebody say, don't try and beat back that stock. Don't try and think it owes you money. Yep. Um, so I think that's probably a prevalent thing out there. Yeah, man. That's because it actually triggers your desire for revenge over your uh, desire to make money. <laughs> you know, you just trying to get back to even is uh, on the same thing you lost it on. It's usually the reason you lost it because it doesn't really fit your your the way you trade. It might be uh, may not be something that trends well or swings well, so you lost money in it. So now you're trying to get money back out of something that doesn't really favor your systematic process. Right. Yeah. And you know, I have found. And maybe you have as well. Is that different? Different underlyings react differently. Like maybe something that uh, may line up right for you in FXE, or maybe lines up right when you're trading oil, doesn't apply to the same strategies. I guess you could say the same indicators, the same setup as something like gold or um, uh, SPY or or something else like different securities in different areas and different sectors and different underlyings may behave a little differently. Is that something you've experienced? Uh, yeah, Nicholas Darvis wrote in a book from the '60s a long time ago, uh, which not really. I had to clean it up for the 2019 version, but you know he said different women have different uh, personalities. You're dating women, you know some like to go out and have fun in the nightclub, some like to go out in the woods hiking, and all women are different dating. I guess same thing applies to men. Everybody has a different personality, so you know stocks and index have different personality. You know indexes tend to go up over long periods of time and go make new all-time highs because they have the winners inside of the indexes and they rotate out losers and bring in winners. You know indexes diversified a bunch of uh, stocks that eventually have the winners, but an individual stock, a growth stock might move four or 5% a day while a old consumer staple stock might move 1% a day. You know, commodities are built more on supply and demand of the underlying commodity while, uh, you know, stocks are built more on the supply and demand of money managers and investors in that specific stock and company. So I agree with you completely, you know, things like things that fit me are more growth stocks, big cap stocks and indexes fit my style mm -hmm. better than a crypto or a, our uh, commodities or futures contracts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, 30 RSI might hold great in a big cap growth stock, but a 30 RSI will be plunged beneath an old, uh, you know, Sears or JCPenney's or uh, a stock under distribution. Right. And that's something traders need to really pay attention to here is that Steve's, Steve's giving you some, some really solid wisdom right there. Every, every stock has its own personality and you, you need to know that you need to be familiar with it. Um, I, I work on a very small watch list and I know Steve and I have talked about this before. He has a decently small watch list as well. And he looks at those guys every day. So he has an idea of how they behave and, you know, if they are under the 250 or over the 250, they may act completely different. Yeah, exactly right. Even different market conditions, a range bound market acts differently from an uptrend, a downtrend in a volatile, volatile market. There's mm -hmm. totally different price action behaviors. That's why there's no holy grail in any kind of trading because because the market continually changes. It's faster, slower, trends go sideways. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Are you telling me there's no perfect trading system? Are you telling me that, Steve? Well, you're going to have to convince half of social media that too, Chris, because they are still <laughs> looking. Paying a lot, a lot of them spent a decade looking. Like you're not looking for the perfect holy grail. You're looking for a system that makes money is what you're looking for. Oh man, uh, on that topic, I, I laughed so loud on that one because just just a day, I pulled out my phone. And sometimes I hate Twitter. I really sometimes just hate <laughs> Twitter so bad. Um, and this guy, he is a very well-known, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 how should I say this, well-known entrepreneur who happens to trade stocks. 
And if you if I said his name, you would know his name might be similar to a secret agent. Uh, I'm not naming names, but you could probably figure it out if you have uh, <laughs> watched YouTube ads for any number of yeah. four seconds. Okay, I think I got it. Um, Oh my gosh, it just uh, drove me nuts. He's like, hey, guess what? I doubled my account in January, and you can too. Look at all these people who did it with me. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The stock market is not the lottery. It doesn't work that way. Please stop telling people you will double your account in a month. It's going to lead to ruin to so many people. Oh, man. I, yeah, that's geez, what I it drove me so, nuts. I so found the know-it-alls on Twitter to go on. Oh, I shorted here. I did this. I did that. Then you hear, never hear <laughs> them again when they, they're so sure. The more sure of themselves, the more they show their, their amateurish behavior because the future doesn't exist yet. It's yeah. absurd. And, and what I, what's really funny is if anyone was as good as they say they were with doubling money in a month or having a 20% return a day, 10% return a day, and all this, the silliness that it's talked about, they would own the world. If you're that I good, agree. you would be a billionaire Jeez. so quickly with compounding, you would you would just own the world. I think Jesse Livermore had a quote even back in the 1920s saying if, if anyone didn't lose money on a trade, they would own the world in a month. Yep. Yeah, (laughs) that's so true. And and I was having that that thought today. I was like, you know, if this dude really was making returns like that, he would be scooped up by all the Wall Street banks and they wouldn't let him out the door. They would say, you work for us now. We own you. We're going to pay you a billion dollars a year because you will make our firm twenty eight billion. Yeah, exactly. And in the the meantime, uh, was it 80, 89 percent of hedge funds didn't make money last year? The most professionals with the best technology, with the, the even the high frequency traders and all their computers hooked up and all their power didn't make any money when there's no asset class over up five percent last year. Hey, listen, they got their fees though. Don't you forget? <laughs> yeah. They they got their fees. Yeah, the two and twenty uh, makes them rich. The two and twenty. Yep. Oh man, what was it? It was something like if Berkshire Hathaway were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll see if I can recount this right. Uh, if 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 Berkshire Hathaway were a mutual fund and it had a, a regular two and 20 fee schedule that um what would have been worth a probably <laughs> man i feel like it's i'm not gonna say it right yeah. something like multiple millions of dollars would really have been worth three hundred thousand. yeah uh, because drag. of all the fees that they've taken yeah his drag just like you have with mutual fund managers making a fortune to to not even beat their indexes you know but they get all their fees like you said i mean you have to overcome the fee drag that's why almost no mutual fund can beat the sp 500 because they have to overcome their fees Right. They're compounding because you're deteriorating your capital every year you pay fees for, for money management. Mm-hmm. Sort of like a triple ever GTF that deteriorates in volatility because oh, yeah. your capital's chopped, it doesn't go up as much as it came down. Yeah, I had a guy reach out to me on 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 Instagram and he and I were talking about stocks and stuff. He's like, Hey man, I invested in this triple leverage ETF and it's just gone down since I bought it. Do you think it's ever going to come back? And I looked it up real quick. I forget which one it was. And I looked at it and I was like, Oh man, I'm so sorry. No, you're never getting your money back. And I was like, the math doesn't work the way where you will ever return on this. I'm really sorry. And he's like, no. Yeah, they they are strictly trading vehicles. Uh, mm-hmm. The triple leverage ETFs, you know, are good trading vehicles. If you go in the direction of the trend, they can work in your favor for very short periods of time. But that's the crazy thing about them is they get destroyed in both volatility and downtrends once they're yep. chopped at three three times the normal rate. Uh, you know, very few of them. There's some bullish ETFs actually do well over the long term that are double or triple leverage. But like you said, uh, you know, you'll, it's, it's a great way to lose money because once you're down 50 percent at triple leverage, yeah, it has to double to get back to even. Right. So that's where the math starts not working, working against you. Right. And and to this point, the, this is the, the lead into chapter three. 
Uh, a good trade's taken when your entry parameters line up. A bad trade is taken in the fear of missing out, missing a move. <laughs> and that, you know, people get into these triple leverage ETFs. They're like, oh, I got to make my money back. Here we go. Yeah, absolutely. When, you know, when you're you're wanting to make money, the greed is what usually causes the biggest losses where you trade too big, you trade too much leverage, too much margin, too much options, too much size. You know, that you, that's usually what triggers the losses. Mm-hmm. So here in chapter five, I, I highlighted a, a quote, and I'm going to read it for the, for the audience here from Martin Schwartz. The most important change in my trading career occurred when I learned to divorce my ego from the trade. Trading is a psychological game. Most people think that they're playing against the market, but the market doesn't care. You're really playing against yourself. You have to stop trying to will things to happen in order to prove that you're right. Listen only to what the market's telling you now. Forget what you thought it was telling you five minutes ago. The sole objective of trading is not to prove you're right, but to hear the cash register ring. And I promise I've heard Steve Burns say these quotes. <laughs> I think the last time we were on, you said, I don't trade to, for fun. I trade to make money. Yeah, I have no interest in wasting my stomach lining and brain cells fighting against <laughs> the market unless I'm going to be paid well to do it and uh, continue my life of financial freedom and uh, keep the profits that I made over the last 28 years and not start giving them all back. So, yeah, that's the only reason those trades make money. And like you said, uh, people go on social media and want to brag and show off and have ego and try to predict something. I mean, that's completely the opposite of what real traders do mm -hmm. over and over and over again. They're just trying to make money with the, uh, with the process that makes the money, and that's it. Right. In fact, there was uh, there was one day there was one person on on Twitter that I I blocked now because it just annoyed me because so many people would retweet this person like, oh, I, I bought it at this and I sold it at that. And and I, one day I was like, you know what, if this guy's so great, I'm just going to follow along and see what he does. So I'm telling you, this really happened. So he starts talking about I don't know if it's a he or she. It's an unnamed person with a no <laughs> picture. That. Yeah. Um, Anyway, this person, he was talking about uh, buying uh, Google calls at $4.80. And, oh, I sold them 20 minutes later at $7.20. And I was watching Google during that, like, five-minute break. Or I had Google up on my screen all that day for some reason. It never got anywhere close to that buy price on any option contract. And I was like, this dude's a straight-up fraud. No wonder he doesn't put his picture or his name or anything out there. He is making these trades up. Just totally making them up. See, Chris, yeah. you would have caught Bernie Madoff with that. Oh, Where I saw those people that told the SEC Bernie Madoff wasn't really making the trades because there wasn't the volume. Options, even the high, uh, big-name options are very low volume. So many of them are very, very uh, – you can identify the volume pretty easily. Mm-hmm. With really, with, so yeah, you're. That's exactly. I've seen that happen a lot, where people just, you know, go after and bust people that keep on and on and on. They get on their last nerves. So they go into the chains and the quotes and just show that that never even executed at that price. Well, well, I mean, it was it was only to to vindicate myself. I wasn't going to go out there and start attacking anybody or saying you didn't do this. But mm -hmm. I was like, that was enough. Where I was like, all right, Twitter's full of baloney. Yeah. Yeah, that's what, like you said. The whole point, they wouldn't be there doing that. That's just the silliest. I mean, that's such a red flag. Like everybody's motivation to be trying to prove something to somebody. Who cares? If you're making money, yeah. good for you. I mean, why are yeah. you out trying to prove to anybody else? It's just absurd. No, I agree. <laughs> uh, one of the quotes, or I guess two of the quotes that I had um, highlighted in here, and I'm looking at chapter seven. A reactive trader is looking for confirmation, and a predictive trader is just guessing. And then uh, the next paragraph over, Steve says, the bottom line is that if you want to be a successful trader, there must be a reason for everything you do based on price action and charts. And really, 
that's all you need to know. Don't just willy-nilly buy stocks. Don't just sell options. Don't just buy options. You have to have an actual reason as to why, and then a reason as to why you're going to get out. Yeah, this is a very controversial podcast you're going to have, Chris. Oh, I can't wait. Process. <laughs> Quantified, not. I mean, that's they never get past the predictions or the uh, opinions or the. That's the, the biggest problem about predicting is the future doesn't exist, and mm. to think that you can figure out what every single person, every single trader and investor, and every news source and every politician and and the Federal Reserve and other country. I mean, to think that you can you know know what's going to happen in the future is absolutely absurd because if you did, uh, you know, you would already be complete, you'd be a psychic and a billionaire if you did. And that was there you go. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're telling me that everybody I love doing that. I, I people I work with think I'm the absolute worst because like um I do this. This is this is not political based, this is not a political podcast, but one of my favorite things to do in life is troll people, like in real life. I don't do it online. And so somebody will say, Did you know Trump did this, that, or the other? And I will look them square in the eyes, and Steve, I promise you I do this for real. I'll look them square in the eyes and I'll say, He's trying to make America great again. What's wrong with that? (laughs) (laughs) And it just drives people nuts. Yeah, pure entertainment. (laughs) (laughs) So having an opinion, whether it's about Trump or if it's about your stock, doesn't always pan out. Um, you know, when, when the price action doesn't confirm your opinion and then, Hey, listen, you're so opinionated that you have to be right. You're stuck in this trade, which is what chapter eight's about. And I've been that guy, like I talked about last summer, long gold. I know long gold or I know gold is going to go up. I'm long gold and I'm going to hold it. And, um, you know, I don't care what the market's doing. It's going to go up. All right. I'm going (laughs) to hold it and I'm going to take these massive losses and options that expire. And I have absolutely nothing but negative i i don't even want to say how much money i lost but it was bad and it had a lot to do with opinion and ego and really i could have learned so much if you and i had talked last year steve i'm going to blame you for it <laughs> yeah my metal I, I had a few metals trades as well in the fourth quarter and into the first of the year and mine consisted of five-day 20-day moving average crossovers and gld and the double average silver agq the signal line, so the five-day, 20-day crawl. When he crossed over, I went long. I stopped out for a few little losses. I'm on a little bit of a chop in the uh, in the gold and the silver chart. Then when silver took off, I went long with a five-day, 20-day crossover, and I ran it for a, I think it was 14.2% gain on AGQ on the five-day, 20-day crossover. I exited when it went to the 200-day. It broke. I moved my trailing stop to a close below 200-day. It closed below it, and I exited. And that's how my silver trades went. And my GLD, I got I got about a 3%, a little bit less than 3% gain on GLD, but that was a lot. There was three big bearish candlesticks that chopped me up on that one. So that was a little bit different process I had with metals. So I did end up profitable on metals in the fourth quarter going into January. So, Steve, when do you want to start taking over the podcast? Because I think... <laughs> I think you just just eviscerated me. <laughs> let's let, let's just recount what Steve just said. <laughs> First off, he can remember the three candlesticks in a row that got him out of his trade. That's were, really it impressive. Was a, it was a bullish and then a bearish bullish bear. But there was three big you know bearish candlesticks. Hell, it was he, bullish bearish bullish bearish bullish. That's what chopped me where I could have had a bigger much bigger run in gold. So that did knock me out of it. There you go. And instead, um, you know, he had all these reasons. And man, this, okay, here's here's a real life example of new trader, rich trader, okay? Even though I've been doing this for 10 years, I don't know what I'm doing sometimes. <laughs> hey, Steve, gold's gonna go up. I know it is. I'm going to go long gold. 
Steve's like, no, it ain't quit. <laughs> so Steve, later on, as as new trader, me, is walking up to Steve's house, knocking on the mansion door, saying, hey, Steve, I really screwed up. He's like, yeah, I know you did. But the best way to learn is to screw up. So here's what you should have done. You should have waited for the 5 and 20 day to cross. And then you would have made 14% on it like I did. <laughs> yeah, like what people say, I think one time Ed Sakota had a, you know, Ed Sakota, he averaged crazy like 30, 40% a year of returns and futures trend following and made his uh, clients millions in trend following with futures as a uh, as a money manager, and uh, he'd go to conferences, and people say, what do you think Silver's going to do? Ed, what do you think Gold's going to do? And Ed would say, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. And he would just leave it at that. <laughs> like, well, well, how are you going to make money off of it? You know, when, when my signals tell me to go long, I'll go long. They tell me to get out, I'll get out. That's all I'm doing. I'm not predicting anything. That used to blow people's minds. It's so true, though. And reading through here, it it Steve's books, the the, the two that I've read so far, really convey the fact that you don't have to predict anything. You just have to be aware of what's going on, understand the price action, what it's telling you, and then work to that. And if it's not right, it's okay. Totally okay. You just cut your losses and wait for the next time that it's right. And that's the biggest takeaway for me so far is that I've identified it. Man, I can't say that. I have identified with Rich. Thank you. Can't even say that right either. I'm not even going to cut this. I'm going to leave it in. I have identified with new traders so much, and it's so much of a psychological brain game that trading is. And once you can overcome that hurdle, once you can stop wrapping yourself up as, you know, you are this trade, not you put this trade on, mm-hmm. you know, that 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 really makes all the world of difference. And not not wrapping your identity up into a trade, even though you are a trader. Steve talks about putting uh, trades on that are the size of uh, 1% of your account. And in a small account, I can understand how that's hard to do, but you can still make them very small, especially with options contracts. We've discussed that before. You can get options that are, I mean, you can literally put on an at the money put credit spread, uh, which is similar to like going long the stock. And you could do a $1 wide one for like $50. So you can really structure trades very, very tightly. Uh, in order to make that happen. But the point is, is that having one trade that's 1% of your account versus one trade that's 100% of your account, if you're wrong in the one trade, it's just one in the next 100, as a rich trader would say. Mm -hmm. But if you're wrong on the 100% trade, yeah, you're going to be upset. Yeah, I think the best position sizing, you know, if your position sizing is too big, it turns your emotions up so high, you can't even hear your trading plan over your own fear and greed and ego and and Mm -hmm. even stress and pain when it goes against you but like you said i would recommend about a one percent position size for options trades about five percent position size of your account for futures trades futures contracts Mm -hmm. you can cut those a lot of options are all for nothing on the long side but then for stocks i think 10 percent is generally the the most you should ever have an individual stock so if it goes against you 10 percent and you have a 10% position size on. If your account's $100,000, you have a $10,000 position size on a stock, and it goes against you 10%, that's still 1% loss. You lose $1,000. That's what I really mean by the, the 1% position size, the 1% mm-hmm. loss of your account if you're wrong. I think people get very, very confused and think I'm telling them to trade the stock with 1% of their account when it's a 1% risk of losing of your account. Right. The position size is different. And you know you can go higher on indexes with single leverage indexes. You could go 20%, 25% you know, more with index trades. But I think that's where you have to start. 
is your position sizing because that's that's one third of, well, of all of it. If you don't position size right, your first losing streak will be your last. Because you'll be <laughs> you'll well be done. Said. You'll be done. <laughs> one of the sections in this book that that Steve talks about here is uh, Rich Trader pulled a piece of paper from his desk drawer, and I'm going to read from his book here because I think it's really really key and important for people. Here's the warning signs I look for as I trade trends on the daily chart. If an uptrend suddenly takes out a previous day's lows for the first time in many days, that could be the sign to take profits or be cautious, kind of like what Steve was saying with gold a little while ago. If a downtrend suddenly takes out a previous day's high, hey, the same thing. If the price violates a key short-term moving average that I'm using and the price is going to close on the other side of that line for the first time since entry, I'll exit at that point. Now, that's like, let's say you are watching the 10-day moving average, for example. If it's hitting that 10-day and keep bouncing up on top of it, I, I think even Steve mentions in here, it's it's almost like uh, magic how, how uh, moving averages can be uh, a bouncing point for stock prices. But if it hits that and closes below, maybe that's a time to start considering exiting the trade. An expansion of volatility and the average daily range will make me cautious if I'm on the long side or make me lower position sizing if I'm short. The loss of a support or resistance level for a recent gap in the chart is an exit signal. And a large gap in reversal against the direction of the trend trade signals that it's ending and I should exit. So basically, what Steve did here was he he outlined five or six points where he's like, look, trade the trend. But these are things to be on the lookout for. These mean the trend is breaking. The trend is bending. The trend is your friend until it bends. And these are some of the ideas that you need to be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. You have to look for clues. You know, price action will give you lots of clues before it really, really rolls over. Yeah, no doubt. Here on the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast, we give you the tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And I think the smartest thing you could do is open a new brokerage account with Tastyworks. Tastyworks is a brokerage platform that I use and I recommend. The commission structure is absolutely unbeatable at $1 per leg total. Now, if you sign up for a free Tastyworks account using the code 10MINUTE, that's 10-M-I-N-U-T-E, I'll give you $150 in free 10-Minute Trader exclusive bonuses from 10MinuteStockTrader.com just for opening a free account at Tastyworks. Remember to use the code 10MINUTE, that's 10-M-I-N-U-T-E, when signing up for your new Tastyworks account today. So moving into Chapter 16, uh, Steve opens Chapter 16 while saying, a good trade has limited downside and unlimited upside. A bad trade has unlimited risk and limited profit. Now listen, folks. I have been trading options for a while. And what he describes here is exactly options trading from both sides. Limited downside, unlimited upside is like buying a call. Unlimited risk and limited profit is like selling a call. So I'm really familiar with this concept. And when I read that, I was like, Am I wrong? Have I been doing this the wrong way the whole time? Or is it just a different style of trading? So, Steve, I, I want to hear from the man himself. What do you think uh, about that? What, what, are, what are your opinions there? Yeah, there's a way to make money, you know, several different systems and methods and, you know, long options, short options, you know, day trading, trend following, even long term investing, investing in a company. There's endless ways to make money. It all comes down to your asymmetric risk. You know, a option is a long option is in itself asymmetric risk, but it has a low probability of success in a lot of a lot of ways. And also you have to have be right about time and price 
you have to be more precise about your trade execution on the long side. But, you know, a few big wins. I know guys that were doing long, long strangles for years, you know, losing a little bit every uh, every week. And they made a fortune in the uh, fourth quarter after you know, losing. But that's something any system you make up, you have to see, can I get through this losing streak? If I lose and lose and lose and then win and make 10 times on the uh 10th time but can you lose three times four times five times on the long side because you'll have big payoffs when you're right and then the other side is you know selling options if you you can sell options have a high win rate and just keep your losses small with a hedge or immediately exit short options when you uh when it goes against you and keep your win rate high then you can make money Uh, Mm -hmm. personally i always like the big wins the small losses you know whatever i'm trading it's easier for me to make money if i just need a few big trends to make money even if I'm only right half the time, you know, I, that's easier for me. Uh, you know, options are so quick and so final, you know, I've gotten away from option trading by themselves over the years mm-hmm. and the short side, I've never really liked the, the work involved in a credit spread. You have to be buy a hedge and sell an option and, mm-hmm. and you have to let it play out. And then you actually, it was so, it was weird for me because like I'm losing money in a trend when I hit something takes off in a credit spread when I'm so, I was so used to making money in the trend. Yeah. Yeah. Really, you know, my money really came from the, the, the money I made that eventually led to my financial independence was uh, from the nineties bull market up to March of 2000 from 90 about 93 to two, march 2000 was my big winning streak compounding big gains and then my uh, mainly tech is what i did a lot of beginner's luck in that uh, then again in 2003 to 2007 and then avoiding the 2008 meltdown was the other big winning streak i had with you know double digit gains and you know that's just and then you know then now you know pretty good returns not consistently straight through like i did those years but Still a great return since uh, since, t- since March of 2009. I started getting back in, having better winning streaks again. But uh, you know that's how I've made money over these years is having mm-hmm. years with getting on the right side of trends and swings on the on the long side. It made money, so that to me it was just worth the time and effort. And that's what I've really migrated to is leverage ETFs uh, in indexes and uh, the best best growth stocks, big caps. You mm-hmm. know, being really aggressive during bull markets and uh, less aggressive during uh, bear markets and you know that's what all my studies of 28 years of doing this and studying and focusing and achieving success that's what's led me to so i just do not like the the asymmetric risk against you in short options personally yeah and that makes a lot of sense and and that that's always been what i have tried to comprehend is is people say you know oh you know you can have a higher probability of profit and you are totally right but if you're probably a profit uh will eventually be taken out by one big loser. You know, it's it's hard to justify that. It's hard to justify that as a long-term viable strategy. So as I'm continuing to to learn through all this, and it's so much fun to really start learning all over again, I guess you could say, you know, I, I've been doing this for a while and um, I, I really feel like I got a second wind here uh, with the podcast. I'm learning so much from so many different people. And I hope that the audience is really picking up on that too, because uh, you guys are you're definitely downloading it and it's it's, it's been great uh, to be able to bring this and bring these these people these experts and all their knowledge so one thing um, what we're all where I'll leave off out, out of the book here is uh, is something that I told somebody the other day and uh, Steve wrote it down right here in the book it says holding and hoping that all will come back isn't a plan it's a recipe for disaster so you know what people Understand your risk, understand why you're taking the risk, understand why you put the trade on, and then understand when and why you're going to get out. And having that trading plan in place will really 
puts you on the path to profitability and hopefully financial independence, just like my friend Steve's been talking about. So, Steve, what is our next book? Next book? What would be another uh, good one? Huh. How about uh, 50 moving averages to beat buy and hold? That would be a fascinating Ooh. trip into actual quantified trend-following systems that give you an edge. Okay. Now, this one I'm looking forward to. I was hoping you would say this one, actually. Because, <laughs> hey, look, Chris wants to make some money, too, while he's learning. Because so. <laughs> if Chris had learned from Steve ahead of time, Chris would have not been in gold until Steve did when he had his 5- and 20-day crosses <laughs> and had a 14% uh, return on GL, or it was in still SLV. Yeah, AG, that's right. AGQ. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know when two real traders actually talk, because we can throw around, you know, uh, tickers and percentages mm-hmm. and crosses, and we all know what we're talking about here. So yeah. Well, Steve, I thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, I, it means it, it really does mean the world to me that that you and I have connected. And I, I don't say that lightly. Uh, I know that you you're a very sought after individual, and you know I I am incredibly grateful that um, you know you and I can hang out and have these t- these chats like this. Yep, I appreciate it, Chris. I always enjoy talking to you. Yeah, me as well. So that wraps up today's How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast. Uh, Be sure to come back soon as Steve and I will be talking about the uh, 50 moving averages that beat buy and hold. And we'll probably give you some tools, tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter. We'll see you on the next episode. Hey, thank you so much for listening to today's How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast. I know you're a listener, but are you a watcher? Make sure you head on over to YouTube, type in 10 Minutes Stock Trader, and subscribe to the 10MinuteStockTrader.com YouTube channel. Every week, I upload all the podcasts as full videos, and that way you're getting the full 10-minute trading experience. That way you can have all the tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter. Make sure you subscribe to whatever podcast app you're listening to, and leave me a five-star review if you don't mind. That would be fantastic. And whenever you're done with that, head on over to 10MinuteStockTrader.com and download the one-minute options trading quick start guide. It'll give you all the tools, tips, and tricks that I use in my own portfolio, and it never gets outdated, and it will apply to every single options trade out there, so I think it'll be pretty useful for you. And while you're there, check out the free portfolio page. That'll show you everything that I've traded over the last year in full transparency. And since you're on the website already, check out the free trading course. In this free trading course, I give you every single thing that I know and use in my own portfolio, and I definitely think it'll help you out too. And then after you're done there, head on over to tastyworks.com and sign up using the code 10MINUTE, that's 10MINUTE, and I'll send you over $150 in free 10-minute trader exclusive bonuses from 10MinuteStockTrader.com. And most of all, thank you so much for letting me be a part of your day. I really appreciate the fact that you and I have connected today and that you've chosen to put me inside your earbuds. That means the absolute world to me. And thank you so much for stopping by. 10MinuteStockTrader.com content is for information and educational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, trading or investment advice or recommendation that any security, futures contract, options contract, transaction, or other financial instrument or strategy is suitable for any person. Trading securities can involve high risk and the potential for total loss of any funds invested. 10MinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell, through its content, financial programming, or otherwise, does not provide investment or financial advice or make investment recommendations. Investment information provided may not be suitable for all investors and is provided without respect to the individual investors and audience's financial sophistication, financial situation, investing time horizon, or risk tolerance. TimInnesStockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell are not in the business of trading securities trades, nor does it direct client commodity accounts or give commodity trading advice, tailored to any particular client situation or investment objectives. 
TimAndStockTrader.com and Christopher Yule are not licensed financial advisors, registered investment advisors, or registered broker-dealers. Stocks, options, futures, futures options, and other financial instruments not included here involve risk and are not suitable for all investors. You alone are responsible for making your investment and financial trading decisions and for evaluating the merits and risks associated with the use of any financial security and broker platform. For more information, please visit TimAndStockTrader.com legal. And thanks for stopping by.